You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. It's great to see you tonight. In the midst of great darkness, light is needed. Americans learned this very well on Tuesday, November the 9th, 1965. There was a boy named M.L. Barron. He was gathered at his home with 15 of his friends, and he was celebrating his birthday party. He uh, went to blow out the candles on his cake, and all of a sudden the lights flickered in his, ho- in his home. And his parents thought, well, you know, it was just a blown fuse. But they soon came to realize that the power had gone out. And it was the beginning of the largest power outage in U.S. history. There was a pilot approaching Kennedy International Airport, and he looked down and saw the runway lights, and he checked his instruments, and then all of a sudden he looked back at the runway, and the lights were gone. You had people in the New York City subway system, 800,000 that were stranded in subways and had to walk out because of the power outage. It was the beginning of rush hour traffic. All of a sudden, everything went dark. Elevators in the Empire State Building were stuck, and people were stranded until nearly midnight. There were people in Macy's that were uh, four to 5,000 people eating in the cafeteria. Some of them slept in the bedding department that night. It was, it was crazy. Everything that was happening because of a lack of power. Walter Cronkite delivered the news via phone that night. You had doctors delivering babies and performing surgery via flashlight. The only lights were candles and flashlights and headlights from vehicles. More than 30 million people were affected by this power outage. Over 80, about 80,000 miles, this darkness stretched in the northeast United States and some provinces of Canada. And tonight, tonight we're looking at a darkness in our, not just in our country, but over the whole world. And we're not talking about a power outage. We're talking about a darkness of fear, fear from a virus that's very real and that has been very deadly and something that we're taking very seriously. But in the midst of this type of darkness, light is still needed. You remember the words of Jesus? He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so as the people of God, we are to be light for God in the midst of darkness. And I I think all of us know that. You would agree and you would say, well, yeah, I mean, I, I believe I should be a light for Christ. But how do we do that? And that's what the question I want us to look at tonight. How do we shine for Christ in the midst of great darkness? And to, in order to find our answer, we're going to begin a new series on the life of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God many years ago, and he was a light for God in the midst of a very dark time spiritually. So I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. For the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Elijah a little bit at a time and just seeing how God used him in a very dark time. And we're going to talk about how do you and I become the type of people who shine for Christ in a dark time. So let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'll need to give you a little bit of context so that you understand where we are before we drop into 1 Kings 17. Now, the books of 1 and 2 Kings cover about 413 years of history. And really, they talk about the demise of Israel spiritually. When things started out in 1 Kings, David was still on the throne. He was an old man but he anointed his son Solomon. That was in 973 BC. And at the end of 2 Kings, 413 years later, you see Jehoiakim, who was in 561 BC, he was released from prison in exile in Babylon. And so you have over 400 years of history. And when it started, things were great in Israel. They were prosperous. They were united. They were together. 
But as time went on, you, you saw division, you saw idolatry, and you saw demise and ultimately defeat from the Assyrians and from the Babylonians. And the question is, why did that happen? Why, how could things go from so great to so bad in such a short amount of time? And really, the theological answer is idolatry. They, they chose to worship other gods. They had poor spiritual leadership, and because of that, God gave them over to other nations, and he disciplined his people. And so that's the context that uh, Elijah found himself in. And in the immediate context, for well over 100 years, Israel had, had had godly leadership. They had Samuel as a prophet. They had David. They had Solomon. They, before David, they had King Saul for a while. And, uh, but in 1 Kings chapter 11, things turned. Solomon turned away from God. His, all the, the uh, women in his life and he, his heart turned away from God because of the unbelievers in his life. And things began to change. In 1 Kings chapter 12, the kingdom divided. So now you had Israel in the north, you had Judah in the south, and things changed. And so for about 200 years, Israel in the north had poor spiritual leadership. They had 19 wicked kings. Now in the south, Judah had some good kings sprinkled in there with moments of revival. But in the north, it was just, it was a downward spiritual trajectory. And I want you to see that in 1 Kings chapter 16, where in in verse 25, it says, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. So you see things getting worse. And then you go down to verse 30 in uh, chapter 16, verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So he was worse than his dad. And Ahab ruled for about 22 years. And things just kept getting worse. And what Ahab did was he established the worship of the false god Baal, and he established that as official religion. And so he overthrew the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God, with the worship of Baal. Now, Israel had had moments, you remember, like the golden calf at Mount Sinai. They had moments of idolatry, but they did, their official religion was still to worship the one true God. But that changed when Ahab became ruler, and he was influenced by his wife, Jezebel. We're told that. In 1 Kings 21, 25, it says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. And so Ahab led and Jezebel led the people to worship this false god, Baal, and even set up images. And, and because of that, the people were led away spiritually. And God was angry. And um, in, in fact, in verse 33, it says, And Ahab made an Asherah, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who who were before him. That's the context where we are introduced to Elijah. That is a dark, dark time spiritually. In the midst of that, a man named Elijah appears on the scene. We're introduced to him in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. Now we're not told where uh, anything about his family is he married what are his hobbies we're not told that but what's most important is the message that he had to deliver for God that, that's what's most important we're told that he was from Tishbe uh, Tishbite from Tishbe and uh, just a little bit about Elijah in Jewish history he became the great prophet he was so revered you remember Malachi 4 5 it says that Elijah the prophet will appear 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord. You remember in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was there talking with Moses and Elijah. So Elijah is so well respected in Jewish life. In fact, Elijah has many similarities to Moses. Remember, Elijah spent 40 days at, at Mount Sinai, and Moses also spent time at Mount Sinai. It was Elijah who confronted an Ahab or a Pharaoh-like leader in Ahab, just like Moses confronted Pharaoh. Moses spoke the hard truth uh, of God before Pharaoh. Elijah did the same thing with Ahab. So a lot of similarities there, and they appear together at the Mount of Transfiguration. When we think of prophets, we naturally think of someone like Samuel. Samuel was the one who was the founder of the order of the prophets. Prophets were spokesmen for God. Their, their job was to speak truth for God. There were a number of other prophets. You remember the prophet Nathan who spoke to David about the sin in David's life. And uh, Elijah establishes a new order of prophets. And Elijah, which we'll get to this, Lord willing, in weeks to come, he eventually anoints Elisha, who's going to be his successor. And then there's a group called the Sons of the Prophets. So this whole new order of prophets come from Elijah. So he's a very important figure in biblical history. But what's interesting is that in this very dark time of, of, of Israelite spiritual history, God raised up two men particularly, Elijah and Elisha, to speak to the condition of people's hearts and to speak to the nation. And from 1 Kings 17, really uh, mostly through 2 Kings 9, there are two men that God used, Elijah and Elisha, to speak to the hearts of the people. And so we're here now with Elijah, and his name means Yahweh is my God. One source says that was his confession of faith. It was all wrapped up in his name. It says Yahweh is my God. That's, that's what his name means. And he's from Tishbe. Now, the Tishbite refers to someone who is native of the town of Tishbe. Uh, Tishbe is not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, we're not even exactly sure where it is. It, it could have been located eight miles north of the Jabbok River in Gilead. And Gilead was north of the Dead Sea, east of the Jordan River. In his book uh, on Elijah, Dr. Chuck Swindoll wrote this. He said, Gilead was a place of solitude and outdoor life. People were, were rugged tanned from the sun, muscular and leathery. Uh, that, that's where Elijah was from. He was from a rugged place, out in the country, relatively unknown, remote area. Yet God chose him to speak at this time. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders wrote this, Elijah appeared at zero hour in Israel's history. Like a meteor, he flashed across the inky blackness of Israel's spiritual night. One source said that Elijah would have been like Braveheart, would have been like William Wallace, just a rugged, tough man appearing before a king. And when he appeared before Ahab, he had a message for him. And this is the message he says. You know, we're not told, we're not given any indication how the king and Elijah met. All we see is here comes Elijah appearing before him, and he has a word from God. And he says, as the Lord... The God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew nor rain except at my word. Now, Elijah may have been appearing before King Ahab, but he was standing before God. He said, I'm standing before the living God. And just as my name means Yahweh is my God, that's who I'm really standing before. And King Ahab, I'm not intimidated by you because I'm serving the living God. And so because of that, I have confidence in what I'm about to tell you. Now, why would, he, why would Elijah appear before a king and talk about drought? What, what would that have to do with anything? Why would that be threatening? 
Well, Elijah was pronouncing God's judgment upon Israel. By this point, Ahab had been king for 14 years. God had been very patient, but it was time for God to bring judgment. And so Baal was the God of who controlled rain and who controlled the seasons. In fact, archaeologists have discovered a representation of Baal holding a thunderbolt. So the, the, the Canaanites just believe that Baal controls the rain. And in the summertime, when it's dry and it's not raining, that Baal has died. But he reawakens in the fall and, and, and rain comes again. And so Elijah appears and says, I'm standing before the Lord who lives. I'm not, I'm not here worshiping some false god who dies half the year. I'm, I'm worshiping the living God who lives forever. He, he, he doesn't fall asleep. He doesn't sleep or slumber, as the Psalms tell us, but he is alive. And so Elijah was attacking Baal worship at, at his theological center. He was saying, no, I'm worshiping the God who controls the rain. I'm worshiping the God who controls this whole order of nature. We're, we're not worshiping some false God who you think controls one part of the natural order. But this is the living God who controls everything. And so Elijah wanted Ahab and all of the, the, the false worshipers to know who the one true and living God is. So it was a challenge. It was a challenge to Ahab. It was a challenge to Baal. It was a challenge to the whole system of idolatry. And Elijah was, in essence, saying, let's find out who the true God is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that it's not going to rain. And when it doesn't rain, we're going to find out who the true God is. That, that, that's what, in essence, he was saying. Now, in essence, at first glance, you may say, what, isn't that kind of arrogant? Like, why would, why, why would he just think he could just show up and say that? And, and then it would actually happen. Well, you have to think back to the Word of God. You have to think back to the Old Testament. What Elijah was doing was pronouncing a curse that God had already said would happen. In Deuteronomy 28, there's about 14 blessings that are listed there. God said, if you will obey me, I will bless you in this way, this way, this way. But then right after that, there's a number of curses listed. He said, if you disobey me, if you don't obey my word, here's what will happen. And one of those curses was drought. In fact, in verses 23 and 24, it says, The heavens over your head shall be bronze, and that God would make the rain of their land powder. So God says, if you disobey me, I will withhold the rain. The, the, the sky will no longer let rain fall, and the ground will, be, will just dry up as dust. That's what will happen. And so Elijah was just taking God at his word. He was believing God and pronouncing what God had already said. This was not Elijah's opinion. He was saying, no, I, I, you have worshipped this false god Baal, and now it's time for judgment. And so he's pronouncing what God has already promoted. And so he was claiming God's promise. Now I want to share with you tonight four ways that you and I can shine for God in a place of darkness. In this, the midst of this darkness that we're experiencing in our world right now, how can you and I shine for Christ? And so I want to give you four ways that we can do that based on the life of Elijah. And so here's the first one. We must have a spiritual burden. We must have a spiritual burden. That's where it begins. So I, I don't believe Elijah just showed up and pronounced these words. I don't believe he just showed up and God brought Deuteronomy 28 to mind. I believe that Elijah was way burdened uh, for what was happening in Israel much earlier than this. And the reason I know that is because what James 5 says. James 5 verse 17 says that Elijah was a man. He was a man with a nature just like ours. 
He's, he's, not a, he's not a superhero. He was a godly man, but he has the nature. He has a fallen, sinful nature just like ours. He made mistakes just like you and I do. But it says, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. So I believe Elijah was in Gilead. And while he was there, he heard about what was happening in Samaria. He heard about the Asherah that was erected. He heard about the false worship of Baal. He heard about Jezebel. He heard about Ahab. And he was burdened. And he remembered the word of God. He said, oh God, I remember. And he began praying. And and God saw him praying. And God said, you know what? I'm going to use that man right there. He's got a burden. I'm going to raise him up to speak for Ahab. So it began with a burden with him. And I, I believe that God raised him up. One, one source said this, Elijah had agonized over the sin of his people and had prayed to the Lord for corrective measures to be levied on his people. Accordingly, God or Elijah was God's logical choice. You see, Elijah's life was probably working pretty well out in the country. He may not have been that impacted by what was happening in Samaria. He was in a remote area, rugged, yet he was burdened. And I, and I just wondered tonight, are you burdened for what's happening in the world? I know we're burdened for people physically, they're suffering, but are you burdened spiritually? You see the thousands now that are dying. And do you ever just wonder, I wonder if they're going to heaven or I wonder if they're going to hell? I wonder if, if ever, anyone ever told them about Jesus Christ. Uh, many of them are dying alone. I wonder if they, if they ever heard the gospel. Do you have a spiritual burden? That's where it began for Elijah. It began way before he appeared before King Ahab. Way before he's speaking, he's, he's praying. And he's praying, God, Lord, something has to change. And, and there's a burden in his heart. And there was another man years ago um, who had a burden. His name was Adoniram Judson. He was in our life group lesson the other day as an illustration. He was, he was a young man. He was very ambitious. And he gave his life to the Lord early in his 20s. Very smart, very bright young man. He wasn't really sure what he wanted to do for his life or with his life. And so he, he was in seminary and, and was, was training. But one day he just committed his life to the Lord. And um, he was listening to a sermon called The Star in the East from an English pastor. This pastor had lived in India and served there. And this pastor talked about the opportunity to spread the gospel. The, the time was ripe to spread the gospel with Eastern people. And, and as, as Judson heard that, he began thinking, he thought of William Carey, who was in that part of the world, and he couldn't think of one American who was over there. And so he began thinking, why shouldn't I be the first American missionary? Why, why shouldn't I go there and, sh- and share the gospel? And so he began convinced that no ministry could be more useful than to share the gospel with unreached people. It began with a burden. But what is even more interesting is what happened right after that. He goes home to tell his family. He had not told his family yet. His dad was a pastor. He's had a, mo- a mother and sister. They were all at the house. And for several days, Adoniram kept that, kept that news to himself because he was just concerned how, I'm guessing, how they would respond. And so finally, you know, they sat down one night by the fireplace and his dad was dropping hints that, you know, they had some good news as well. And they were, you know, that this is going to be something that benefits your career. And, and so Adoniram finally asked just, can you, you know, can you tell me what you're talking about? And, and Mr. Judson said, well, yeah, there, you, you remember Dr. Dr. Griffin. This was a man that uh, Adoniram knew. He said, Dr. Griffin is about to be the new pastor of Park Street Church in Boston. And as soon as you finish seminary, he wants you to be his assistant pastor. 
Man, what, what an opportunity for Adoniram. This was the largest church in Boston. They lived not far from Boston. I mean, nothing would have made his dad more proud. And his mom said, yes, you, you know, and you will be so near home. They were so excited. And Adoniram just sat there. He just sat there quiet for just a, a, a little bit of time. Then finally, he, his, with a hoarse and shaking voice, he says, no, I, I shall not live in Boston. I have much, much further to go. I have much further to go. And he told him about God's call in his life to missions. He told him about this spiritual burden. That, you know, I've, got to, I've got to get the gospel to the unreached. And his dad was a pastor. What could his dad say? His mom and sister started sobbing uncontrollably. And yet he still went because he had a spiritual burden. And if we're going to reach people, he became the first American missionary. And if we're going to reach people and minister to people now, it's got to begin with a burden in our hearts. There's got to be a burden in our hearts now, just like it was for Elijah. Before he went to the king, there's got to be something in our hearts that says, Oh God, would you just bring revival? Would you bring awakening? Would you save people through this? Would you turn people to Christ as a result of what's happening? Before we start speaking, it it begins with a burden. So if you and I are going to be salt and light, if we're going to shine for Christ, it's got to start with a burden. But, but now let's go on and look at Elijah's message. Elijah says, and the word of the Lord came to him. It's interesting. He spoke for God, and now God speaks to him. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from me, or from here, and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. Now, God, God said, I'm going to command the ravens to feed you, and you're going to drink from this brook. And so we, as we look at verses 4 and 5, I want to show you two interesting things that I see in this passage. First, God would provide for Elijah at an unlikely place. An unlikely place. Kareth? Where in the world was Kareth? Kareth was not the Hilton at Orange Beach. It was not a luxury hotel. We don't even know exactly where it was. We think it was maybe 30 miles southeast of Samaria. It was in a desert, remote area. It was at a brook, which was a, a stream, a wadi that, that fed into the Jordan River. And I believe it's so ironic that Elijah just said, hey, drought's going to come on this nation. And then God told him to go live by a source of water. Don't you find that interesting? It's not going to rain, but then God says, oh, by the way, I want you to go live by water. This was testing Elijah's faith. Did he really believe God? Would he really trust God to come through in his life? And so we, might, we may have expected God to keep Elijah at the king's court, like Pharaoh, or like Moses and Pharaoh. Remember, Moses kept appearing before Pharaoh. He let my people go. And we may, we, we may think, well, surely God would do the same thing with Elijah. But as far as we know, Elijah said this one time, and then God says, you're gone. Now, there's different, a couple of different reasons why God may have removed Ahab or uh, Elijah from Ahab. Some people think it was because Elijah was in danger. And that, that certainly could have been the case. Jezebel and Ahab could have said, you know, we're, we're coming after you now because of what you said. And, th- and that, that certainly it was, was probably part of it. But I think there's a deeper reason here. I think there's two deeper, deeper reasons. One is that it was a symbol of God's judgment. Elijah was God's mouthpiece. And with Elijah leaving the land, it was, it was saying God is departing the land. 
God no longer has a word for, for these people because they are now under the judgment of God. So Elijah was God's spokesman, and his absence represented God's departure from the land. It was a physical and spiritual drought. The prophet Amos said uh, that God would send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread and th- nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And so now there would be a spiritual drought along with the physical drought. But I also believe that God was preparing Elijah. You see, when you and I often think of Elijah, we, we go to 1 Kings 18 and we think of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. And he did, and hopefully we'll get there in, in weeks ahead. And, and I look forward to that study. But we, we think about that, or we think in, in 2 Kings 2 where God took Elijah up to heaven in chariots of fire. Or, you know, we think of Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And all of those are true and all those happen. But this was before all of that. You see, Elijah was not, was not yet ready for that. And in 1 Kings 17, we believe it covers a period of about three years. So these were, these were years of silence, mostly, for Elijah. These were years of preparation. These were years where God was working in his heart. Elijah was learning to trust God. He was learning to walk by faith. He was learning to obey the word of God. And so he was learning to go without the conveniences of life. You know, the word for kareth, it comes from the verb karath, which means to cut off or to cut down. And so at kareth, Elijah would be cut off from the world. He would be cut off from the conveniences of life. And as one writer said, he would be cut down to size. God was working on him. God was working in him. He didn't have a crowd to preach to at kareth. He sat in silence and he learned to trust God. I read where we believe Elijah lived at Kareth for the better part of a year. Isn't that interesting? God didn't say, just go visit Kareth. He said, I want you to live at Kareth. And that's exactly what he did. He went and lived out in the middle of nowhere. And God had great plans for him. But Elijah had to learn to trust God. You see, if God, if Elijah was going to be used later in his life to call down fire from heaven, to anoint a successor, to do all the things that God used him to do, that he had to learn to trust God. And he learned that partly at Kareth. And so Elijah went and did what God told him to do. So the first verses, really, all of these verses, the first seven of uh, 1 Kings 17, it's about the authority of God's word. Elijah shows up and he speaks, as the Lord lived, this is what God says, it's not going to rain. And then God tells him, this is what I want you to do. So you see, uh, you see Elijah not just proclaiming the word of God, you see him obeying the word of God. You see him submitting to God's authority. And the second thing I want you to see in these verses is that God provided through, for Elijah through an uncommon means. He provided through an uncommon means. He provided through ravens. Why, why, why would God choose to use ravens? Uh, what I find so interesting is that before Elijah even traveled to Kareth, God had already given the command for his provision. God's provision goes before you, before us. Before Elijah even went, he said, I, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Isn't that amazing? That before we, he even went there, that God's provision would meet him there. And so you can be confident. If God has put something on your heart, that his provision will go ahead of you. That when you get there, when you obey what he's telling you, his provision will meet you there. And he's, he's already given the command. All we have to do is obey. Now, I, I think it's interesting that God would, t- would say ravens are going to feed you. De- according to Deuteronomy 14, 14, ravens were unclean animals. They were scavengers. They were, they, they're not 
providers. Um, and according to Job 38:41, ravens wouldn't even feed their own offspring. So if they don't even take care of their own, why, why should Elijah trust that a bird's going to feed him? The whole thing just doesn't make any sense from a human perspective. And here's our second point tonight. If you and I are going to shine for Christ in a dark world, we must be willing to obey God when it does not make sense. We must be willing to obey God when it does not make sense. Going to Kareth, a place that was cut off from a human perspective, didn't make any sense. Uh, eating food catered by ravens, that, it just does, doesn't make a lot of sense. Yet Elijah was submitting to the authority of God. You see, Kareth was not about Elijah's usefulness. It was about his obedience. And some of you right now may be on your way to a Kareth. Your life may be changing because of everything that's happening in the world right now. Your economic situation may be changing. Your job may be changing. The way you educate your children may be changing. All of that's changing. And you may be deeply concerned and understand why you would be concerned. But I want to encourage you that God's provision goes ahead of you. God had already provided for Elijah before he even got there. God had a plan. And I want to encourage you, if you're on your way to Kareth right now, God's provision will meet you there. He will meet your basic needs at Kareth. See, Kareth was a place of supernatural provision for Elijah. And that it will be that way for you and I too. God's provision will meet us there. He may need us to, he may want to deepen our trust in him through this season. He may want to do, he may want us to cease from some of our activity and learn to spend more time with him and listen to him and to be still and to know that he is God. These were the silent years in Elijah's life. Uh, A.W. Pink wrote this, the prophet needed further training in secret if he was to be personally fitted to speak again for God in public. On January 27, 1862, President Lincoln issued General War Order No. 1, which ordered all land and sea forces to advance on February 22, 1862. This was a strong order and a message he was sending to his, the Union forces that he was tired of the excuses, tired of the delays. He was ready to advance against the Confederates. And what was interesting was how two particular generals responded. One was General Grant. General Grant responded, yes, sir, and he advanced and took over two forts that had previously been uh, defeated in uh, Tennessee. However, General McClellan responded differently. General McClellan had a disdain for the president and showed no signs of moving his army anytime soon. And so later that year, and in November the 5th, uh, General McClellan was removed from command, uh, from, our, from uh, general command of the Army of the Potomac. Even though McClellan showed great promise as a, as a young general, he was even called Young Napoleon by some. He, he had really prepared the troops very well, had done a great job of building the army, yet he struggled in following the president's authority. And when we look at the life of Elijah, he just obeyed God when it didn't make sense. And so I just encourage you, as you go to your care now, you may, through this time of uncertainty, keep obeying God. Even when it doesn't make sense, keep trusting him, keep walking by faith, not by sight. And that is one of the ways you and I can shine for Christ, because people will look to us and say, why are you doing that? How are you staying so calm in the midst of this? And we just say, man, I trust God. I just believe God's provision is going to meet me wherever we're going with this. He's, he's already ahead of this, and he's going to meet us there. 
And there's a sense of calmness and trust in our hearts. Once Elijah arrived at Kirith, notice in verse 6 his eating routine. It says, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Now, I guess he didn't have lunch, but he had a full meal at breakfast and a full meal at dinner. His diet at Kareth sounds similar to what the Israelites, to their meal plan in the wilderness. Remember in Exodus 16, they had quail and God would send manna. And what is so interesting about Exodus 16, it said that each man was able to gather as much as they wanted. So there was no lack. You know, if you were hungry, you could get as much as you wanted. Right in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of a, just a desolate place, God was still meeting the needs of his people. And so here you have a raven bringing bread and meat, and he's able to roll over on his stomach and drink from this bubbling brook and drink as much as he wants. You just see the provision of God in a, in a desolate place, in a place where you would assume that someone would die of starvation out in the wilderness. God is meeting Elijah's needs. And so Elijah was learning to depend upon God, learning that, hey, wherever God leads me, I, he's going to provide. He was deepening his walk with God. And, and uh, you know, Elijah didn't know what was next. He didn't know what the next day held. He didn't know about Mount Carmel yet. He didn't know about the chariots of fire. But he was learning to live day by day in trust upon God. Now, Elijah was learning the truth. Remember 1 Timothy 6, verse 8? It says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. God was meeting his needs. And God's going to meet your needs too. We just have to trust him and he's going to do that. This, this brings us to our third point in becoming the type of person who shines in dark times. We must adjust to God's provision for this season. We must adjust to God's provision for this particular season. Now, Elijah had to adjust a new provision. Um, this was a new time for him. And some of us are entering a new season right now. This is a new time for us too. So we've got to adjust to God's provision. We can either grow bitter, we can grow resentful, we can complain, or we can say, you know what, Lord, you're going to meet my basic needs and I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to be content because Paul said he knew the secret of having living with an abundance or need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we, we can have that mindset like Paul said, no matter what happens, little or a lot, I'm going to trust God because Jesus is a source of my provision and he doesn't change. So he's going to meet my needs. A man named Victor Frankl uh, survived three years in Nazi concentration camp, including Auschwitz. And he it went on. He was a, uh, a professor of neurology and psychiatry at the University of Vienna Medical School. He died by, back in 1997, but he wrote a book that's well known called The Meaning of Life. And what he did, he, he shared some of his experiences at the concentration camps. He said some people would lose the desire to live and they would commit suicide at the camps. But he said some people lived with such dignity and it stood out to him. And he wanted to know why is it these people, how can they persevere through these terrible uh, circumstances? And what he figured out was the people who survived there, who, who had the will to live, they, had, they were conscious of a reason beyond their existence. In other words, they, they had a larger uh, picture of, hey, there's, there's a loved one at home that I can't wait to get back to see. Or there's unfinished work that I've got to get back to. There was something be bigger than themselves, something beyond their life 
that forced them to live. And, and he, he had a famous quote that he liked. He says, a man who knows the why of his existence will be able to bear almost any how. If we know the why, we can en- endure the how, is, is, was, was the essence of the quote. And this one quote that Frankel is known for, it says this, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Circumstances may be changing for you right now, but you and I can choose our attitude in the midst of this. We, we need to adjust to this new season of provision that, that God's going to give to us. We just have to adjust to it. And we can choose to say, all right, God, I, I, just, I just pray that you'll help me. And I pray that you'll teach me more about you during this season. And I pray that you'll help me be an even greater light for you during this season. Well, verse 7 says that after, after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Uh, you see, Elijah was not immune to the drought. I remember he was the one who pronounced the drought, believing God. God was the one that made it happen. But he pronounced it, and now he's suffering from it. And you and I are not immune from challenges in the world. Uh, and Elijah was having to endure the drought just like everybody else was. Um, so maybe he woke up one morning and he, he, he went over and the, the brook was no longer bubbling. And before long, the, the water was gone and the sand was wet. And uh, maybe shortly after that, the, the winds blew and the sand became dry and parched. And Elijah found himself in a place where the brook had dried up. But God had a plan. Uh, on the surface, it would appear that God had failed. On the surface, it would appear that, well, God led him to a place, and now that, that place is dried up too. So where's he going to go now? But see, God had a plan. But see, you know, we, we, if you keep reading, God had a, another place to send him. He was going to send him to Zarephath. Then he was going to send him to Mount Carmel. You see, God, God, God had all this figured out. Uh, but Elijah just didn't know that yet. And, and you and I don't know what's around the corner either. Uh, but all, all we can see is, is what's in front of us. All some of us can see is a dried up brook. And for, for some of you, that dried up brook may be loneliness. It may be economic change. It may be depression. It could be a number of different things. And the thing about a dried up brook is we often, all we can see is loss. All we can see is what we're losing. Well, I, I'm just losing this. I'm losing touch with this person. I'm losing mobility. I'm losing that. And I'm losing friends, whatever it is. I'm losing my job. Lost, lost, lost. And we can't see the greater picture. Elijah doesn't know that around, just around the corner, God has provision for him. And so in the midst of a dried up brook, we, we have to keep our eyes upon the Lord. Because God, God does have a plan. And so here's our fourth and final part point tonight. If you and I are going to be people who shine for Christ in a dark world, we must realize that in the midst of our challenges, God has a plan. We must realize that in the midst of our challenges, God has a plan. God has a plan for your dried up brook. God has a plan for your loneliness. God has a plan for your economic situation. God has a plan to take you into a deeper walk with him if you'll let him. Isaiah 49 verses 14 and 15 says this, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Then God responded, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God says, I will not forget you. So 
He won't forget you. And you may feel forgotten, but he is right there. He has a plan in the midst of this dried up brook, in the midst of this carrot that is in the middle of, feels like in the middle of nowhere. He has a plan. Hey, God's greater, greater plan for your life is for you to know his son, Jesus Christ. It's for you to be forgiven of your sins and to spend eternity with him in heaven. I know a number of you have made that decision. I'm grateful you have. If you never have, then the thing you need to do now is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. Someone asked him, how, how, how can I be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus has already paid for your sins and he paid for my sin. And so our response needs to be to believe on him as Lord and Savior. Eternal life is not automatic. It's available to all who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I hope you'll do that tonight. If you never have, that's your greatest need tonight. That's the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And I want to plead with you and encourage you to do that right now if you never have. In his article entitled, A Dark Night to Remember, it was published in Life magazine in 1965. Ludon Wainwright wrote about the dark November night in New York City that we talked about earlier. This is what he wrote. It seemed to me that the blackout quite literally transformed the people of New York. Ordinarily smug and comfortable in the high hives of the city where they live and work, they are largely strangers to one another when the lights are on. In the darkness they emerge, not as shadows, but for warmer and more substantial than usual. Stripped of, of the anonymity that goes with full illumination, they became human conscious of and concerned about the other humans around them. In the crowded streets, businessmen, coats removed so that their light-colored shirts could be seen, became volunteer cops and directed traffic. Though the sidewalks were jammed, there was little of the rude jostling that is part of the normal midday walking in New York. In the theatrically silver light of a perfect full moon, people peered into the faces of passerby like, like children at a Halloween party, trying to guess which friends hide behind which mask. In fact, the darkness made everyone more childlike. There was much laughter. And as they came down the stairs of the great office buildings in the little night processions led by men with flashlights and candles, people had held hands with those they could not see. There's many people in our world right now that cannot see past their fear of darkness right now. And it's our job to introduce them to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So take advantage of the opportunities that we have during these days to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord to help us do that. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. And Father, I pray during these days that people would see the light of Jesus through us. Lord, that as people come encounter and encounter us, they would we would be the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you give us boldness? Would you give us compassion as we minister to people through calling them on social media and all the different ways we're trying to minister to people? Use us, God. Use us to be salt and light for you. Help us to, be, to trust you. Help us to uh, obey you when it doesn't make sense. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are they're at a, a place where there's a dried up brook right now. They're, they're at a kareth where they feel cut off from the world. They feel lonely. 
They feel discouraged. They feel uncertain. Lord, I pray they would lift their eyes to you. And God, encourage them and lift their heads tonight. And remind them that you are in control. Remind them that you have not forgotten them. But that you are God and you never change. Lord, would you impress this truth upon our hearts so that we could be different and so that we could shine for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.